Well, once again, good morning. This morning, we are continuing in our series that we kicked off last week, looking at the life of Joseph. And now, as we, we talked about last week, Joseph's story is more than a story just about himself. Joseph's story is actually a story about his entire family. And Joseph's family is actually a very dysfunctional family. And so a lot of us can, can relate to Joseph's family, the dysfunction, the mess, And last week we looked at some of the drama and the craziness going on in his family. And in case you weren't here, I just want to briefly catch you up on where we are in Joseph's life. And so last week we looked at Genesis chapter 37, where we see the beginning of Joseph's story. And we discover that Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he's not just like any of the other sons. Joseph is the favored son. And his father signifies this to him by giving him a coat, a royal coat that signifies his status. And so, of course, that makes his brothers jealous, a little bit envious. They start kind of getting hateful towards him. And then Joseph has a dream. And he says, brothers, look, I had a dream that y'all are all going to bow down to me one day, and I'm going to be an authority over you. And he tells his father, hey, look, I had this dream that I'm going to rule over people. And of course, I mean, imagine somebody telling you about that dream. You're like, who do you think you are? And so it led his brothers to be even more angry, more envious, more jealous of him. And they said, you know what? Let's kill this dreamer and let's kill this dream. But then compassion came into their hearts and they said, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Let's be nice. So they sell him into slavery. They take a piece of his cloak. They dip it in animal's blood and they take it to their father and they say, look, Your son has been devoured by animals, and his father, Jacob, weeps. One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible tells about life as it is. It tells us how we should live, but it also records normal people and the messiness of their lives and the drama and everything that comes along with it. And it's one of the reasons how we can know the Bible is actually reliable. It doesn't try to make every character look like they're perfect or that they're holier than thou. And so we see in this family a drama, a mess. And as we're going to go to Genesis chapter 39 today, we're going to find that the drama continues. And if the drama of Genesis chapter 39 was put on a TV show like Jerry Springer, it would get millions and millions of viewers. But I don't think that Genesis chapter 39 would be on Jerry Springer's old TV show. I think it would be on his new TV show. So... Last week, I confessed to you that growing up, I used to love watching Jerry Springer. Now, that was in rebellion against my parents' wishes because it is a terrible show. You shouldn't watch it. Don't go Google old episodes. But Jerry and the people who watch the show like me have grown up over the years. And we've matured. And now we've put the Jerry Springer show behind us. And now we watch more sophisticated television like The Bachelor. And now Jerry Springer has grown as well, and he has matured in his career as well. And so now, at 75 years old, he has started a new TV show that debuted this week, and it's called Judge Jerry. He said in an interview that it's kind of like Judge Judy, but he's going to be a little more compassionate and have more of a father role over the courtroom. And because he's a lawyer, actually, his rulings are binding. And when he was asked, why are you doing this new show, he said, look, I'm 75 and I have bills to pay. So he's starting his new show, and I think that if Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 39, if this episode of his life was an episode on TV, it would be on this new show, because in this story, we're going to find Joseph having to make some very difficult decisions that have consequences, and that actually 
have legal consequences for him in the future. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 39. Go ahead and open them up. If you have a smartphone, you can use the Bible app, Genesis chapter 39. Or you can follow along on the screen with me. And we're going to be diving deeper into this episode of his life today. Right after he's been sold into slavery by his brothers. And so we find this in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And now Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So at this point, Potiphar probably feels like he kind of hit the jackpot, right? I mean, he, he chooses to have Joseph come as a slave in his household, and as soon as Joseph comes in, everything he does is met with success. In the house, things begin to prosper. In the fields, in his business aspects, things begin to prosper. So he says, look, Joseph, here are the keys. Here are the keys to everything. Do what you want, when you want, and where you want. Things are going really well. There's just one small problem. And here's where we get into some of the drama in this scene. As we continue, we find out that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. Everything is going well for him. Everything he touches is met with success. And at this point, really, it seems like he can do no wrong. Potiphar trusts him with everything in his house. And so you have to think in Joseph's mind, he's thinking, well, Potiphar trusts me. So if I do go to bed with his wife, he's probably never going to suspect anything. Nothing bad will probably happen. We probably won't get caught. And so he begins mulling this over, whether he should go to bed with her or not. And I just want you to see here that this is how temptation often comes into our lives. Temptation often comes into our lives at our highest moments. When things are going really well, when we're really successful, when we feel like we're just crushing it at life and that we're hot stuff, that's often when we're most tempted to give into temptation because we think we're, we're above it all that we can get away with it, that we're going to be okay. Temptation often comes at our highest moments of life and in some of our lowest moments of life. And so here, Joseph is faced with this temptation, whether to sleep with Potiphar's wife or not. And as we continue, we find out what he, what he does. He says this, he refuses. He refuses, and then he gives some reasons why. He says, look, with me in charge... My master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I recently heard it said, opportunity knocks once, but temptation keeps knocking. And so we see day after day, Potiphar's wife coming to Joseph, asking him, please come, come be with me. But we find here that Joseph displays integrity. And one way that you can define integrity is doing the right thing when it's the right thing to do. And Joseph here, he does the right thing. He knows that in God's eyes, adultery is sinful. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sinful. He knows this, and he knows that it's not going to only affect his relationship with God, but he also knows that, that when you sin, it also affects your relationships with other people. Because last week we looked at at Joseph's siblings, the other 11, and how a lot of them have different mothers. And and so he knew how how all of this stuff made complicated things and situations in his life. And so he says, look, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to bring that into my life, into this household. I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to sin against Potiphar. He knew that this would begin to destroy and to affect all of the relationships around him. And so he says no. He resists. And then we find out uh, eventually saying no isn't enough. He actually has to flee. He has to flee the situation. And so as we continue, we find that one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, and she said, Look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. Hey, that Hebrew slave you brought us? Notice here that that she's using this this language saying, look, he's not one of us. He's a foreigner. This Hebrew, this Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. So I want you to notice here, Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is stripped of his cloak, and then he's placed in a pit. Genesis chapter 39, Potiphar's wife strips him of his servant's cloak, and then he's thrown into prison. And there in prison... I imagine at some point he probably had a conversation with God. And he probably said to God, God, what's going on here? God, I have served you. I've been obedient to you. I've lived with integrity. I've done the right things. And this is where I end up? Here in prison? For for doing what you want me to do? Really, God? I'm sure he probably thought that because here Joseph does the right thing. He trusts God, he lives with integrity, and he ends up in prison. And then Potiphar's wife, 
She does the wrong thing. She lies. She makes up all this stuff. And then in the end, she gets what she wants. Joseph thrown in prison. And you know how infuriating this type of situation can be. Because it's very frustrating in our world when this happens to us and to people around us. When we do the right thing and then things don't turn out right, like how we expected them to or how we feel like they should. And then other people, they're going around doing the wrong thing and it seems like they're prospering. Have you ever seen this in your own life? I mean, this happens all of the time. And it's infuriating. And I was thinking about this week, about a podcast I listened to a while back. It's a podcast called White Lies. And it's a podcast that follows the life of a man named Reverend James Reeb. And Reverend Reeb was from the Northeast. And during the civil rights movement, he was a civil rights activist. And so he would go around and he would uh, support and advocate and protest for voting rights for African Americans and other liberties. And so in 1965, Dr. King gave a call and he said, look, we want some clergy to come down to Selma, Alabama because there, there's some bad stuff going on here and we need some people to advocate for voting rights. And so Reverend Reed, he came down, he traveled, came to Selma with a buddy. One night, they went to dinner at a restaurant. It was an integrated restaurant in town, one of the few of them. And then when they were walking out of dinner... A group of white segregationists beat him and his friend with clubs. And they ended up beating him to death. And so his wife and his four children found out that her husband and that their father was gone. He died. They tried a few different men on charges for this, but the all-white jury found them not guilty and let them off. No one has ever been charged with a crime. No justice has been had in this case. He was just trying to do the right thing, nonviolently speak up on behalf of other people, and he's dead. Maybe you've seen this not at that scale, but on a smaller scale, in your own lives. I mean, students, you, you know, you probably see this at school. You study really hard. You try to do the right thing. You do your best on the test. And, and what does your best get you? A C, maybe a B. And then your friends, they just cheat on the test. They find the answer somehow. They get an A. Their GPA goes up and your GPA goes down. Maybe in the workplace. You have that coworker always cutting a corner, maybe taking advantage of customers, doing things in a way that isn't quite right. And at work, they're thriving. They're getting the promotion. They're getting praise and applause. And you're just trying to survive at work. You're just struggling to get by. Sometimes you see this in dating relationships. I know there's some of you out there, single, longing to be married. When you're, you're going on dates, you're meeting new people, you're trying to be honest about who you are, have a relationship of integrity, live with, with boundaries that God 
has given you, you're trying to do the right thing and you find yourself still single and then all of these other people seem to be already married. A lot of times in our lives, this is very confusing for us and this is very infuriating for us because somewhere along the way, we picked up the message that if we do the right thing, then everything in our lives should turn out right. And that if we do the wrong thing, that then we're going to suffer. And so, when we do the right thing and we find ourselves in a rough situation, we find ourselves suffering or facing some kind of setback, we go to God and we say, God, look, I've done my half of the deal. Where are you at? I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've lived with integrity. Where are you? You're not giving me what I want. And then on the flip side, when we find ourselves in a bad situation, other times we think, God, what did I do? What did I do to deserve to be here, to end up here? Are you, are you punishing me somehow? And so we have this narrative in our heads, but in Joseph's story, one of the things that we discover is that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that you're going to end up in the right place, the place that you want to be. And this is actually a truth that we find throughout all of Scripture. We find throughout Scripture that a lot of times, God's people, when they love Him, when they trust Him, when they live with integrity, they actually end up in places like pits and prisons and suffering and facing setbacks. I mean, just look at the disciples. They followed Jesus with all that they had, with all that they were. Most of them became martyrs for the faith. They were ultimately killed for their faith. Look at Jesus. Jesus is the most faithful person to ever walk this earth. He lived a sinless life, a life full of integrity. And what did the world do to him? The world crucified him. And so we often think, okay, if I do the right thing, everything's going to turn out right, I'm going to prosper. But God doesn't necessarily promise us that. He doesn't promise us that we're going to prosper on this side of eternity. Instead, on this side of eternity, he promises us something else. Something that we see as we continue in Joseph's story. As we continue reading some of the final verses here in chapter 39. Here's what we find. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, Joseph, as we're going to see, even in prison, he did experience some success, but that's not something God promises all of us. Instead, I want you to see what what we've underlined and highlighted here, that over and over again in Joseph's story, we see this common thing. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Time and time again, wherever Joseph finds himself, whether it's somewhere he wanted to be or not, the Lord was with him. A lot of times, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, 
when we find ourselves suffering or, or facing some kind of setback or, or maybe we just had a dream for our lives and our lives are completely different. A lot of times we want to ask God, why? Why is it like this? But I recently heard someone say this, that in those moments, God doesn't often give us a why. Instead, God gives us a what. And what we find him giving Joseph here is a promise, a promise that he will always be with him and that he will never leave nor forsake him. What we find him promising Joseph here is that in all things, we find that God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. We find the promise of Romans 8, 28 being true for Joseph. We find in Joseph's story that these things sustain him. And so day after day, even in prison, he can wake up and he can put one foot in front of the other because he knows God is with him. He can live with hope instead of despair because he knows that God is working for his good. As we sang just a few minutes ago, God is working for his good even while people at the same time are working against him and working evil purposes in his life. Joseph is able to continue because he knows and he sees that in the pit, in the prison, and wherever he finds himself, as he trusts God, And as he lives with integrity, he finds God working through him and God pointing others to him through his witness. And so this morning, I want you to know that those promises that God had for Joseph are true for you as well. God is with you. He is with you in the highs He is with you in the lows. He is with you when you're living your dream life and you're posting on Instagram, hashtag blessed. And he's with you when you're in the pit and you don't feel like posting on social media anymore because you feel like your life isn't one to put out there. God is with you. Jesus, some of the final words he gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, behold, I am with you until the end of the age. That is a promise that is true for you today, just as it was true for Joseph. And the promise that's also true for you is that God is working all things for good in your life. That no matter the evil that's come your way, no matter the people who are trying to frame you, the people who are lying about you, no matter what's going on at work or in your love life or in your finances, God is seeking to work for good. When you make good decisions and even when you make bad decisions, God is still working things for good. And the promise also remains that when you trust God, When you trust God and you seek to do what is right, you live with integrity, you listen to him and you're obedient to him, the promise remains that he will work through you to point others to you. He will use your life as a witness to his grace, his mercy, and his faithfulness in the high moments and in the low moments. And this week, I I came across an old phrase from one of the ancient church fathers named Tertullian. 
And no, Emily and I are not going to name our child Tertullian. If you have submissions, you can let us know. But Tertullian, one of the great church fathers, he said this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what he meant by that is that when people suffer, face hardships and difficulties for the sake of Jesus Christ, God uses that to grow the church. God uses the faithfulness of his people to point others to himself. And so all week I've been wondering, what would it look like if our church and Christians all around the world trusted God like Joseph did? What if we said yes to God even when it was difficult? What if we trusted God like the martyrs have? People who've, who've suffered and died for their faith. What if we trusted God like Jesus did when he was nailed to the cross? What if we said to God, God, we, we, we trust you. We're going to listen to you. We're going to be obedient to you no matter what comes our way. And what if we trusted God with our time, with our resources, with our finances, even if it meant that we were going to live lives of discomfort? What if... We, we listen to God and we are obedient to his word even if the world around us mocks us and says that's stupid. What if we spoke truth in our society? We spoke truth even if it cost us all political power. What if you and I simply trusted God and said yes to him with all that we have and all that we are. How many people would come to see his presence and his power and salvation in their lives if we trusted him in that way? And so this morning, I simply want to ask you, because I don't know what the answer is for you, I want to ask you, what area of your life do you need to entrust to God? What area of your life do you need to place in his hands and say, God, this is yours. God, I will listen to you. God, I will be obedient to you. God, I'll say yes no matter where it leads me, whether it leads me to the palace, as we're gonna see Joseph next week, whether it leads me to the pit, whether it leads me to prison, I'm gonna say yes. Maybe for you, that's the area of your relationships. Maybe for you, that's decisions that you're making at work. Maybe for you, it's decisions you're making about your family and your future, where you're gonna live. Maybe for you, it's about your finances. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this, that God is trustworthy. And God will never fail you. So I wanna invite you to, to bow your heads in prayer and to just put your hands out in front of you this morning. this is an ancient prayer practice that, that is simply just a symbol of surrender. Of saying, God, all I have is yours. My life, 
my family, my future, my career, all of it is a gift. And I want to surrender more to you today. And so God, we, we come here as your people. We come here as your people asking you for forgiveness for the times that we failed you for the times that we have said yes to temptation for the times that that we have said we're going to live our way instead of trusting you God we confess to you that, that we haven't loved you and we haven't loved others with all that we have and all that we are and so we ask for your forgiveness today and we thank you as we're in this posture also of receiving that, that you have poured out your grace and your forgiveness and your love for us through Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you for his grace. We receive that gift of forgiveness this morning. And God, as your forgiven people, as your saved people, we want to surrender our lives to you. And so God, here we are. All we have is yours. Help us to be faithful in our families, in our futures, in our finances, in our relationship with you and with others. God, in these moments, we trust all these things to you now. created